We're going to look together today to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 11 through 14. It's a benediction. And I want to just say this at the start, that when we pray benedictions, they're not intended just to make us feel good about something we have just heard, but rather they are calls to action. And so that's where we're going to start. We're going to start at a benediction. But it calls to me a question that has been on my mind, and it's this. What does the gospel have to say to us today? We are a people who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as the best news for all. We believe that it is not only a belief system, but that it is a life-transforming truth. In fact, it, it results in life transformation. We believe that. We also do not believe that this transformation is solely individual or personal. We believe that the gospel is intended to transform culture and society. And ultimately, we believe that it will make all things right. You see, we are the people who believe in the God who will make all things right. And we believe that God calls us to join him in living lives that reflect what it means for him to make all things right. We believe the gospel is that powerful. So what does the gospel have to say to us in these days of societal angst and racial injustice and tension and difficulty. This past Wednesday, I spoke about my own need, my own need in the words of James, the brother of Jesus, to be quick to listen. I would invite you to check that out, what I shared. It's posted on our Facebook page. But as I shared on Wednesday, which I also shared last Wednesday, which I, which I, well, last Sunday, which I also shared this morning, these words from Augustine, the 5th century theologian, continue to be at the forefront of my mind. The way to Christ is first humility, second humility, third humility. I confess to you that I am still listening. I am trying to listen to the pain and struggle that I've never experienced. I'm trying to listen to the anger and the frustration that I've never had to embrace. I'm trying to listen to the fear and the doubt of the African-American community and people of color that I've never had to face. And then I'm also trying to listen to the beautiful voices of my African-American brothers and sisters and leaders who are calling for peaceful demonstrations. And I'm listening to the reading of repeated, repeated experiences of African-American men where their greatest crime was the color of one's skin. That's just a fact. And I'm trying to listen. I do want to understand because I do believe that the gospel calls me, calls us, to be agents of redemptive and restorative healing. And I'm seeking to understand this. What is God inviting me to? What is God inviting me to? Maybe you can ask yourself that question. What is God inviting me to in these days? Or as this question I heard earlier this week asks me, what is needed for you to become part of the solution to the deeply entrenched sin of racism? 
What is needed for me to become part of the solution? So please bear with me as I struggle in wrestling with this. It's a whole lot easier to leave this to news reports or to social media posts. But the truth is, in many ways, they really don't change much. But I believe there is something that does change things. And I've been asking, what does the gospel have to say to me, to us, to our world? As I said, today we venture to Paul's benediction, his final words to the people of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a dynamic and diverse city. No place, though, was harder for the Apostle Paul to love and navigate than that church in Corinth. This church was filled with all kinds of issues of division, one after another. Who is the better apostle? What does worship look like? What gifts are the coolest gifts? What about those who are different than us? All of that is in those two letters to the Corinthians. Paul also had to navigate what the gospel meant and help them navigate what the gospel meant in a Corinthian world where the values of political power and rampant consumerism and blatant immorality and spiritual confusion were part of the everyday landscape for the people who were trying to figure out how to be followers of Jesus in their world while at the same time trying to figure out how to be the church that was them. From the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, through both of the letters, Paul instructs and he pleads and he, he even corrects and rebukes the Corinthians. He sets before them one example after another of what it means to be Christian in a secularized world. So as Paul put pen to paper in crafting his last words to them at the end of 2 Corinthians, we find what seems to me to be a summary of so much of what he was calling them to. Beginning with verse 11, we read these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. A beautiful sign of affection in that day. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. These words are chosen for the lectionary reading for Sunday, the epistle reading for this Sunday, which, as I mentioned, is called Trinity Sunday. But I think maybe they are divinely gifted to us for this day in our time. They really do not describe the Trinity's functionality or how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another. But instead, they reveal to us the character and nature and the power of the gospel and the way we are to reflect God. Now, it is important to remember, again, the recipients of this benediction are not representative of a group that was exempt from the pressures we face today. Not some vision here of a church that is immune to the forces of darkness that pull at our souls. Remember, these words of benediction were given to a people struggling with strife. They were facing differences of opinion. They were dealing with diversity and difference. And they were trying to discern 
um, how to resist, how to live, how to react, how to respond to the pressure of the dominant cultural narratives around them in order to actually be the church, a force of God's redemption in the world around them. Listen again to these words. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of peace. It is true that it offers peace to the troubled soul of the person who finds their way to faith in Christ. How we love to linger in that promise from Jesus. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Those words are from John 14 and they express this amazing picture of a drink of fresh water for the parched soul who lives in the troubled waters of sin apart from Christ. And we're grateful for his peace. And yet, those words are so much more. Through the lens of our self-realized culture, it is easy to think that this peace is just simply part of an ingredient to that self-realization we are encouraged to strive for, that it's something personal. Sometimes people might say to us this, glad that gospel thing works for you, but that's not for me. It's easy to think this peace is a subjective relief of unease within me and nothing more. That's how the world thinks of peace in many ways, something to just make me feel better. But then Jesus went on and he said, I do not give to you as the world gives. The gospel of peace not only needs to work for me, but it needs to work for you. The gospel of peace not only needs to work for me, but it needs to work through me for the world around me as evidence of our hope of God making all things right. Working through me as evidence of God's, of our hope that God will someday make all things right. Every week, um, the general superintendents of the Church of Nazarene have been sending out letters to pastors. And this week, this was included in the letter. We begin to long for and pray for and work for a time when there is justice and peace. Where hungry people can eat and where diseased people can be made well. Where holy love enables us to live together joyfully even in our great diversity. We begin to live toward the time where there is no hatred, prejudice, unjust systems or racism. We live today the way God wants his world to be tomorrow. Hope demands we do more than speak a good word. It is a call to act on behalf of God's preferred and coming future. What a statement. We live today the way God wants his world to be tomorrow. Because we believe that the gospel of peace not only needs to work for me, but through me. Elsewhere, Paul said this to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 14. He said, For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He is specifically talking about the barriers that God broke down between Jew and Gentile. And yes, there's some measure of religious difference, but primarily we're talking about cultural differences and even racial differences. That their differences no longer would prevent them, should not prevent them 
from being recipients of God's peace, one or the other. And in fact, that very peace that they discovered is to be a unifying agent. So the gospel speaks to me in these days. Christ is the barrier-breaking God. Say that with me. Christ is the barrier-breaking God. As men are often erecting barriers between one another, God is breaking them down in many ways. Jesus, you see, part of his problem was he, he broke the rules of association and he took a wrecking ball to barriers erected to keep people out or to keep people from. The normal barriers erected mainly by religious people, by the culture of his day, were constantly being torn down by Jesus. Think about that with me. Sinners were welcomed, open-armed. The unclean were seen and they were touched. The poor mattered and were ministered to. Women, women who were marginalized in that culture, were elevated. Children were celebrated. The marginalized were counted. And even different ethnicities were honored. Barriers torn down by Jesus. One barrier after another taken down. And in our day, the need is just as stark. And I've been thinking about barriers. I've been thinking about barriers maybe even within myself. And one of the greatest barriers within me, maybe all of us, is not a conscious racism that blatantly intends harm to a person of color, but maybe it's the unconscious racism. It's called implicit bias. What I think when I see a black man coming toward me on the sidewalk as a white man. The internal judgment I make when I watch news coverage of the protests. The mental narrative that runs in the background when I hear reports of inequity in the criminal justice system. Or my silence when someone else around me is communicating racist ideas. My implicit bias. If my thinking and my perspective is putting up a barrier to another person, and in this case particularly a person of color, a barrier preventing the peace of Christ, then my thinking is not Christian. But here's one thing. The answer to this is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace, for the God of love and peace will be with you. You see, that gospel changes me, and it changes you. The gospel changes our hearts. These words from Dan Boone are just too good not to be repeated. Earlier this week, he said, Observing humans, I have seen very few of us experience deep change because of shame, angry blaming, social media ranting, or even threat. These tactics only harden us in our defensiveness. While we work in the public square for justice, reconciliation, and peace, we believe the human heart is the original site of the racism that takes shape in institutions, policies, and cultures. If we are to be like Jesus, 
It begins with the work of the Holy Spirit in the core of our being. So we fly the banner of the Holy Spirit behind me on this cross. That color red. And you see, that is why, because of the Holy Spirit at the core of our being, that is why after Pentecost, when those followers of Jesus walked in the power and the presence of the Spirit, their voices and their lives were such a threat to the reigning powers of the day. It cost many of them their lives, as we know in history. Lives that were living out the kingdom of God. And they called people to worship King Jesus. Who calls out sin and injustice and poverty and prejudice and abuse of power? In reading the New Testament, the refrain is contrary to the dominant narrative of that culture, of that world. And that narrative was that a select few gained the most. That was the narrative of the empire. That's the narrative of all empires. But this is the leveling language of the kingdom of God, of the gospel. It's a repeated refrain that we read constantly. In Colossians 3, it sounds this way. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The measure of identification is not the color of a person's skin or their nationality or their neighborhood, or their socioeconomic status. It's something else. And the only words I could think of to describe that are the words of Dr. Martin Luther King. When he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The character expressed in the Trinity the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul wrote, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And then within the broken world we live in, as my life reflects this character of God, my life becomes part of the solution to the deeply trenched, entrenched sins of this day, including the sin of racism. Now the last word is a necessary word, but it seems so out of place. It's actually how this benediction begins. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. I don't know about you, but in some ways it does not feel as if we're living in times worth rejoicing over, does it? But imagine what would happen if we actually took this benediction seriously. Remember what I said at the beginning, benedictions are a call to action. They're not intended to be neutral. They're not intended to, to just be part of a religious uh, ritual at the conclusion of a worship gathering. Benedictions are a call to action. They are a response to the gospel. So what if we lived out this benediction in our world today? What if because of the difference the gospel has made in my life, I did strive for full restoration? and healing in our land. Maybe even simply by being honest about my own implicit bias. What if I did find ways to encourage one another, as the benediction says, especially my friends and my colleagues and my neighbor, who are people of color, 
What if I found ways to encourage them and support them? What if we sought to be of one mind? Be of one mind. United in standing against anything that robs people of their beauty as image bearers made in the beautiful image of God. And what if we did indeed choose to live in peace, breaking down the dividing walls, sacrificially and unselfishly working to partner with God in bringing justice and making all things right in this broken world and in our broken hearts? And the result of living that benediction, <laughs> the result of living out that kind of benediction, this is what Paul says, the God of love and peace will be with you. And if that occurred, then yes, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Looking at these days, my suspicion is, shared by others, is that the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and others will fade from the media cycle. The media will latch on to some other story to make sure they get their ratings. The emotion may ebb and flow and die down. But my prayer is that I will not allow these days to be wasted. I pray that we will not allow these days to be wasted. That we will allow these days to call us to this posture of listening, learning. That we allow these days to be an opportunity for the barrier-wrecking gospel of Jesus to do its work in our hearts and lives and land so that we will become part of the barrier-wrecking work of Jesus. My friends, I am still listening. May I hear, may we hear, the call of the gospel in these days the call of the gospel of peace. May we listen for the gospel of peace. Thanks be to God. In turning to the Lord's Supper this morning, we are reminded that we all stand at the same foot of the cross. We're all at the same cross. and We all stand the same height at the foot of the cross. In the mystery and the beauty of Christ's sacrifice, the scriptures teach us that a new people was made that knows no barriers. Paul continued to write to those Ephesians, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He created in himself one new humanity. The cross of Jesus was the supreme barrier-breaking act of God in making us one. As we partake together, as we partake together today with people from around the world, all over this earth, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in the earth, we said earlier. People from every language and race and and nationality in every place and strata of society today will gather and participate in the Lord's Supper. As we do that together, let us come to the table of the Lord 
with humble hearts, with open hearts, with confessing hearts, knowing that apart from Jesus Christ, my friends, we can do nothing. On the night that Jesus was crucified, he took the bread. I invite you to now get your elements and be prepared. Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks to the Father. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of the love of God through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us participate together as one. Jesus then took the cup, and again he gave thanks to the Father. And he gave the cup to his disciples, and he said, This is the cup of my new covenant, my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. Do this in remembrance of me. So let us come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of our hearts. Is there anything today that you need to come to Christ with? just going to have a moment of silence before we partake. And you want to just ask him to forgive you. Is there a place in your implicit bias? Is there a place of, of woundedness? Is there a place of complicit silence? Is there any place where you need to now ask him for this not to just be a ritual, but for this to be his work in our lives today? I invite you to confess to him and seek his forgiveness. Let us now participate with thanksgiving in the cup. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. My friends, I pray that we will strive for full restoration in our land. I pray that we will encourage one another, that we would be of one mind, that we would live in peace. I pray that the God of love and peace will be with you today. And so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And may we go this day listening for the gospel of peace, living the gospel of peace, being the gospel of peace in our land this day. Amen. God bless you. Look for those communications this week. May you walk in his grace this day.